0: Great. Well, everybody, uh, this is the Future Gravy podcast, and uh, today we have Dennis Porter. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, And um, Dennis, um, today we're going to be talking about uh, Ethereum and uh, why we think that Ethereum is a problematic project. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about the history of Ethereum?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of of ways to approach Ethereum and to discuss the problems that um, are built into it inherently. And one of those is just the foundation itself of the project. If you go back in time, you can see a very distinct difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin. Bitcoin initially was created in a very fair way and anybody could decide to be a part of the mining process. And even Satoshi himself sacrificed the very first Genesis block so that it was truly fair because he, someone had to mine the first block, and it had to be him, and he was willing to actually sacrifice that first 50 Bitcoin that were created out of that block. That's a very big difference when you compare that with Ethereum, where insiders were allowed to get together. And they were allowed to do a pre-mine instead of actually making an open fair mining system where everybody gets to mine equally at the same time. They pre-bought all of their coins. And some of them were actually just just given to the Ethereum Foundation, given to some of the developer insiders. And from that very point, some people would argue that the foundation of Ethereum itself was corrupted. Um, There's a lot more along the way, as far as historically speaking, that makes Bitcoin and Ethereum so different. And one of those differences is the way that the people at the top, the people in control have gone after the miners in their community. They have cut the pay of their miners multiple times, which some people will say, well, the miners knew going into this that the mining would go away eventually when they moved to Proof of Stake. Okay, sure. I, I agree with that statement. That's a fair statement. Something that they did not agree to was having the reward per each block cut. So each block, originally, they got five ETH, and then it was cut to four, and then it was cut to three. And then recently with the London hard fork, as most people know with EIP 1559, they started to actually burn the fees that are associated um, with each transaction. And instead of giving it to the miners, they began burning those fees so no one could have it. And so this is just consistent theft uh, and it's consistently taking from the miners and giving to the people in power. The history is concerned. If you keep moving forward, mm-hmm. you can see that there's more bad decisions to be made. Uh, with, with, as far as Ethereum is concerned, they plan to move to proof of stake and i think we're going to see along the way more the problems that i have with ethereum is is the foundation of it and the movements along the way cutting out the the reward of the miners which was not agreed upon also if you look back you can see that the they put in a difficulty bomb to in order to to break the proof of work chain so that they could move to proof of stake and they've consistently moved that back and back and back so tons of broken promises, corrupt foundation, taking from the miners. It's, it's a consistent history of, of, of taking from others and lying and, uh, and, and insider people on the top being able to gain access to the coin before others.
0: Dennis, how come they're able to do this? Why is the decision making different in, uh, in Bitcoin and the implementation uh, than on Ethereum? Why is this a dictatorship? They, they, they can just, you know, do whatever they want.
1: Oh, that's a very good point because they, you bring up something important here, which is that they have a leader, they have someone at the top, they have people in control. And when you don't go along with the leader, you end up getting kicked out of the network, you get kicked out of the group. And that's one of the geniuses, I think, of Satoshi deciding to back away from the project at a very early date. It allowed Bitcoin to truly become decentralized. There was no founder, there's no creator, there's no formal leader. And that's what really makes Bitcoin so beautiful because you have a whole group of people now that have to figure out what we're going to do. And we all have to come to the same decision and agree. And if we don't agree, it doesn't happen. Right. But even then, the way Bitcoin is designed, you're able to have optionality. We we've saw this with the with the forks that went away from Bitcoin, for instance, Bitcoin Cash. They thought they wanted bigger blocks, so they went over here, and you had the option to decide where you wanted to go. Oftentimes, in Ethereum, they go out of their way to ensure that you don't have optionality, you don't have a choice, and the way that they do this is very very obvious when you look at what happened after the DAO hack, but specifically what is going to happen when they move from proof of work to proof of stake. And that is that they are going to, what I mentioned earlier, they're going to difficulty bomb the proof of work chain and make it impossible to mine or to use. So you have this option as a user, you can say, well, either I can sell all my Ethereum and leave and literally go to some totally different coin, completely different. That's one option, right? You have to be kicked out of the community or you have to follow Vitalik, and those at the top who make the decisions, because if you don't go to proof of stake, they will actually destroy the proof of work chain, and then you will be left with nothing. So there's no optionality. There's no choices. You're forced to follow the leader in Ethereum versus in Bitcoin. You can decide which way you want to go. You have the option. There's no leader. There's nobody in control. There's nobody forcing you to do anything. You get to choose the money that you want to use. And that's one of the reasons why I'm very, very, very big on Bitcoin over
0: Ethereum now Dennis um a lot of people are new to the to the you know cryptocurrency sphere and um you are using um you said a, a bunch of things that people may not be familiar with what is the dow hack that you just mentioned okay.
1: so back in i believe it was 2017 uh, you'll have someone will have to correct me if the year is wrong I there think was that's fine. a decentralized autonomous Um, organization. And on that decentralized autonomous organization, there was a smart contract created and a majority, a big, a large portion of holders put their Ethereum into this smart contract. Unfortunately, the way the smart contract was designed, someone was able to use it to siphon off all of the, or a, a big chunk of the funds that were put into that smart contract. And this created a serious problem for Ethereum because they all had planned to move to proof of stake. And in proof of stake, the people with the most holdings the, the, will become the validators. They'll replace the miners. And so there was this huge problem that they was created by, and it wasn't, they didn't get hacked. Like this is kind of the problem, too, is that people think that that Ethereum smart contract got hacked. It was actually just poor design. The nobody hacked into the smart contract. They just there was a bug in the smart contract, and they took advantage of it and extract extracted the value out of there. And they wouldn't, didn't want to stand for that. Those at Ethereum didn't want to allow this to continue, and so they made the decision to roll back the chain. So there's, there, you have the blockchain that you know about and the transactions, and people say, oh, once it's on the blockchain, it's immutable. Well, that's not necessarily true at Ethereum. They've proven that they are willing to go back in time and reorganize the chain in order to get their money back, and that's what they did. And maybe that's a, maybe once the decision was made, that was the only thing they could do, and it had to be done. But at the same time, it just shows their lack of, uh, of foresight. And I think also it really shows just how risky they have been throughout history with this program.
0: So and and uh, for those of you, uh, for those who don't know, what is a decentralized um, autonomous organization and what is a smart contract and what is... Because the claims of Ethereum is that it is a, a world supercomputer and mm-hmm. all that, and this was supposed to be one of those applications, right? Um, and it failed miserably. So,
1: smart contracts are just a, are just a program that you can use to enact a certain a uh, series of events and you can pre-plan them in a, in a code is essentially like a simple way to explain it to someone. So you could say a, sm- a simple smart contract would be, I'm going to put my money into a smart contract and I'm going to lock it in there for a week. And that smart contract, you co- code is law for most people, right? But obviously this is the whole problem at Ethereum is that code is no longer law. But on a Bitcoin, if you did that, you locked your your Bitcoin up in a smart contract for a week, you could do nothing to change that. There'd be no way to get your money out. You'd have to wait till the seven days ends. Obviously, there's all sorts of different ideas that people have had on how they could use these smart contracts, but that's a really simple one. You program what you want the code to do with your money and it does it and there's nothing you can do to change it. Unfortunately, on Ethereum, they have proven that code is no longer law and that they are willing to go back and, and make changes in order to Whatever it is at the moment, it might have been benefiting themselves, but in the future, and it benefited pretty much everyone on Ethereum. But in the future, they might make decisions that don't necessarily benefit every benefit everyone in the Ethereum community. And that's kind of the fear moving forward that they've essentially become the centralized planners of Ethereum.
0: Um, so people people don't understand that when you said that that um, this uh, DAO, this uh, decentralized autonomous organization didn't actually get hacked. What is the problem wh- with, with these Ethereum smart contracts and why are they safe on Bitcoin, uh, for example, in the smart contract implementations on Bitcoin, and why are they unsafe on Ether, on Ethereum?
1: So there's two, there's two things that are going on here. One that I'm talking about is the, the security of Bitcoin, where Bitcoin or, Bitcoin's immutability has not gone broken, right? So we, we don't reorg the chain. We believe immutability is very important because we want to show that you can trust that no one's going to go back in time and change uh, anything on the blockchain to suit their needs, right? Nobody in power can do that that's one that's one aspect of what I'm talking about here the other thing is that on a th- problem on ethereum is that they use a coding language that is very um, I would say it's not complex in the sense that it is difficult to use but it just gives you more optionality as well as far as the range of different uh, programs different ways that you can code this the uh, the smart uh, contract and so because it's so, complex by, in a sense, it allows for more room for more mistakes to be made. And on a Bitcoin, the difference is we don't allow for such a wide range coding language to be used. We keep it very, very, very simple so that it's much less likely that you'll make a mistake. And that's the big difference. You have the security issue, and then you have the, the coding language itself is different that they use, and it allows more for more room for error on their end.
0: So basically, Ethereum instead of being uh, Turing complete, it's more like Turing vulnerable. Uh, so basically, you, you're you're opening up the array of vulnerabilities that you have available, right?
1: It's much yeah. So it's much more. There's much more you can do with their platform. It's much more malleable. But at the same time, when you're talking about global financial instruments, you want something that is very simple and very basic so that you don't run into these problems where someone is coming along and noticing a bug that you didn't notice and extracting all of your money from you. And this is the type of thing that Bitcoiners and Bitcoin in particular goes out of its way to avoid. And it's very important to when you're doing that because it builds trust and it ensures that you don't have to go back in time and reorganize the chain to make sure everybody gets their Bitcoin back. We don't want these sorts of mistakes to occur on Bitcoin.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, proof of work versus proof of stake. Uh, for those who don't understand, um, what is the difference between those two? And why is um, why have some people say why have some people said that proof of stake is more like the regular central banking that we're trying to exit? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There there are some very good points that need to be made when it comes to proof of work versus proof of stake. Basically, the way proof of work operates is that in order for you to mine a block, you have to burn energy. You have to actually work in order to do that. And this is important because the chain itself, the blockchain itself, it becomes secured by the very energy that you're expending. So there's a cost involved with securing the chain. This is a big, big part of what not only gives Bitcoin a connection to the real world, it also makes it very difficult for people to go backwards in time to change anything because they would have to burn equal or more amounts of energy, which is, which is a cost. And it'd be very difficult to do that. So it makes it very, very secure, extremely secure uh, in the sense that it makes sure that no one can go backwards and change anything without spending serious amounts of money and consistently they have to keep spending money over time there are some ways where people say proof of stake is is more secure and there are certain things that are positives with proof of stakes but the problem is on proof of stake there are some non-negotiables but before i move over to that there's one last thing that people should understand that's a positive about proof of stake on proof excuse me proof of work on proof of work the miners that are actually mining the Bitcoin have to spend the money that we're talking about burning the energy, which means they have to spend the Bitcoin, right? So in order to get more miners or in order to get more electricity, you have to spend the Bitcoin that you've just earned, which is a really great way to make sure that it gets distributed this is my one of my biggest problems with proof of stake. And I'm sorry if I mix those up sometimes back and forth. I have a, I, I, when, I'm, when I'm getting deep in it, I sometimes mix them up, so I apologize, but proof of stake is Ethereum and proof of work is Bitcoin. But on proof of stake, the biggest problem with it is that there is no cost. There's no electricity burnt at all, which means that someone that's mining or what they call validating on Ethereum doesn't have to distribute any of the Ethereum that they acquire, through the validation process, which means that they don't have to distribute it. They can hold on to it. And in proof of stake, people who have more money, people who have more stake, get more money on top. So the rich get richer, essentially, right? And then there's no incentive to actually spend or distribute that Ethereum, which means that you have these people who will just consistently hoard their Ethereum and have no incentive to distribute it whatsoever. That's a really, really, really key point. And also that will lead to, I think, in my opinion, extreme centralization. Already there's many ways where Ethereum is centralized, but proof of stake will lead to more centralization because the rich will get richer and those who have the most money have the most power on that protocol.
0: So um, it is already a dictatorship. They already have all the power. And once it moves to proof of stake, and this will be even further centralized. Um, yes. Um, so I'm wondering what the plan is. I mean, is there a conspiracy? Do we know of, of anything that they're planning behind the scenes or? or what, what I don't. The
1: motivation? yeah, I, I don't know if necessarily they are planning anything behind the scenes. I'm not I wouldn't say necessarily that they are nefarious actors. The problem is that since the beginning, since the foundation of Ethereum, the the actions that are going to occur from now until its end are more or less set in stone, very much like the fiat system, right? So the fiat system has to reinforce itself. If, If they stop printing money, everything will collapse, right? Well, the same is true with Ethereum. If they Don't make these actions along the way that are going to happen. I'm not saying necessarily they will print more Ethereum or raise the inflation rate, which is a theory of mine that that will occur. It's just that there are actions that will have to be taken on a human level. So Bitcoin is perfect in the sense that no human interaction is needed. No changes to the monetary policy, to the issuance is needed in order for it to be successful, in order for it to continue moving on. Literally, with Ethereum, there are things that have to be changed or it will blow up and implode. It cannot continue on without human intervention. And that need for human intervention is really, in my opinion, the crux of my argument for why their protocol is so broken. Because for 10,000 years, we've been using money. And for 10,000 years, when given the power, those in control of the monetary system debase, corrupt, and manipulate it. 100 out of 100 times, there is not one example where human beings have not done this, and that's really where I think it becomes so dangerous with Ethereum.
0: So you're talking about corruption and uh, one of the things that Raul Powell, Raul Powell, for those who don't know, is a very famous uh, institutional investor and he is, he is uh, pushing Ethereum a lot, especially lately. And he was saying that, um, yeah, all this philosophy about corruption, that's all fine, but I'm not a philosopher. I just want to make the most money. Uh, So basically he's saying that all these flaws that you're mentioning, they don't matter as long as the price goes up. Um, And um, at least uh, what I think is that eventually uh, these fundamentals will reveal themselves and people will be caught you know with their pants down um now do you have any views on this matter on the on the matter of okay um there are some people that just don't care about the philosophy you know about this corruption they just want to make money what would you tell to these people what would you say to them
1: i think in the short term there is a really a very real possibility that Ethereum will go up in value. And I became increasingly aware of this because of the research that I was doing around Ethereum. They, in my opinion, have become somewhat obsessed with the idea of surpassing Bitcoin's market cap. And one of the ways that they have done this is to actually model Ethereum after some very similar uh, what some people would call shit coins um, uh, or altcoins on the market today. One of the most common mechanisms that is used in order to make something go up in value is to constrict the supply artificially. And Ethereum has done that. I can count five different times they've done that. And they'll do it a sixth time when they move to proof of stake. They did it when they went from 5 ETH to 4 ETH per block. Then they did it again from 4 ETH to 3 ETH per block. They're doing it again with EIP-1559, and they'll be doing it again with once they move to proof of stake. So maybe that's five there that I can count. This is a pumping mechanism. This is an artificial manipulation of the monetary supply. And yes, I do believe in the short term, as this market is so new and irrational, instead of seeing that as a problem, I think it gets investors excited because they're realizing, well, there's going to be a reduction in supply which means there'll also be a reduction in selling pressure from the miners and from, well, almost exclusively the miners, right? And eventually the, the validators as they move to proof of stake. And and, and in proof of stake, there will be almost no selling pressure because they won't need to sell it at all. So they can continuously hold forever. So in my opinion, it is because of this, all of this attempted pumping mechanism, which mirrors a lot of the shit coins out there on top of the staking mechanism. Obviously, that is also another restriction of supply once they move to, it's, the whole thing is being built so that they can pump their backs. That's all they care about. And I think in the short term, those that are interested in making money, this is not financial advice. There is a real chance that the, the Ethereum will continue to grow in the short term. But in my opinion, by making these decisions now, they are in fact destroying their credibility and will, I think, lead to the project collapsing in and of itself eventually.
0: Um. But are there any actual applications uh, to Ethereum in in the real world? I mean, are are we making any progress with it?
1: So you'll have people claim that Ethereum can do all of these things. Uh, DeFi, dApps, decentralized web, um, NFTs. Almost everything that has been done on Ethereum was tried on Bitcoin, and it didn't work because of the fact that it was too inefficient. And we wanted the base layer to be used for its most important purpose, which is to be global money, which is to be a global store of value. Ethereum has had different plans in mind from the very beginning. They wanted to monetize that block space and be able to use it as a way to capture value. Unfortunately, all the things that they're trying to do can be done in more centralized programs, more centralized platforms, more efficiently. We don't need a blockchain. You don't need this is the problem. You don't need a blockchain. For everything. You don't need to tokenize everything. It creates massive inefficiencies and it's completely unnecessary. The reason why Bitcoin was so important and why we decided to use such an inefficient mechanism, such as proof of work and burning all this energy right? And, and blockchain, those are the two most important parts about the security. The reason why we built it this way is to make sure that nation states like China and the United States couldn't tear it down. It's what creates the decentralization and what's what it's what defends the decentralization of Bitcoin, that and as well as the decentralization of the nodes themselves, which is another problem on Ethereum. So Ethereum is doing things, sure, fine, but it's all going to be done better by more centralized platforms. We've already seen that this is occurring. And I think the trend will continue towards centralization with all those types of platforms because consumers will prefer efficiency uh, over being decentralized, which has essentially become a marketing hype for Ethereum. They're not really that decentralized, uh, in my opinion. Especially when it comes to when you consider the nodes. There are, there are. I believe it's what seventy percent of Ethereum nodes now are on cloud servers that are ran by uh, essentially companies like AWS. For instance, Jeff Bezos himself controls twenty five percent of all the nodes on Ethereum. Vulnerabilities like this are why I completely avoid this project, and I don't think I will ever. Ever put an ounce of my money on to the Ethereum protocol because there are so many vulnerabilities and so many bad decisions that have occurred throughout the history of the project.
0: So, um, are there before Bitcoin? Were there any attempts to have you know decentralized monies uh, that were maybe uh, shut down already?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, um, I believe one of them was called eCash. There was DigiCash. Listen, like Bitcoin was not the first attempt at crypto. That's what a lot of people have mistaken um, in the history. They, they think, oh, well, this is just the first try and, that, and, and better things are going to come. No, 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 no. That's, that's a total misunderstanding of the history of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Many attempts were made to get to the point of, of discovering Bitcoin. Which is more of a discovery than it was, an invention. Uh, the discovery of fire, for instance, was very big for human beings. Um, the discovery of absolute uh, scarcity, digital scarcity, is is a discovery by human beings, and it, you can't rediscover absolute scarcity. It's a one-time discovery, similar to fire. And I just don't see or think that anything is going to come along to unseat Bitcoin because at the very base, it it, it it's something totally new that's never happened before. But yes, there were many attempts to do this and they did fail because of the fact that they were too centralized.
0: Okay. So um, if we're talking about uh, centralization and decentralization, um, what would be... So you say that there is an attack vector so that um, Ethereum could be attacked with the servers that that they're running, right? Mm -hmm. What are the other attack vectors that could possibly be...
1: So when they move to proof of stake, currently on proof of work, that is one of the most prominent ones as that's an issue currently is the centralization of the nodes. And that's a really big problem because someone like Jeff Bezos could eclipse attack a quarter of the network, which means he could create his own Ethereum network and then start making his own rules. When they move to proof of stake, there's this attack that could occur with the the miners or or, which will be then validators on that network. And the way that this attack would work would be an attempt to actually control the majority of the validators in order to you know, essentially write your own rules. And it, this could happen very easily uh, through a series of events. So for instance, whoever has the most Ethereum has the potential to control the network. Well, yeah, if you want to buy up all the Ethereum, it's going to be very difficult. The price will go up dramatically. The market will f- Flex upwards, and it'll be very difficult to acquire enough uh, resources to take all of the uh, validators into your control or or the majority of the validators into your control. But there are ways to completely mitigate um, this process or make it much more affordable. One of those is through slashing. So on Ethereum, if you don't follow the rules, if you don't go the right direction, or if you just make a mistake, they will slash your Ethereum away. And the reason why this is a problem is because. There are very large smart contracts full of Ethereum. For instance, the Lido protocol is one where a ton of people are putting their Ethereum onto it because they get this derivative in exchange and they're able to kind of use that derivative to invest into other projects while they're also making money off the, off the uh, validation process on Ethereum. But because of the fact that it's so centralized, they will either, there's two things that could happen. They might be the ones to make a mistake and they get slashed, which would dramatically reduce all of the the, the competition to become the, the main validator. Or they could be, they could actually say to the to the to the network, because of all of their power that they may have in the future, that their competitors are not playing the rules right and that it'll cause their competitors to get slashed away. And then they will have the majority control over the protocol. So another way that you can Make it more affordable for you to attack Ethereum would be to buy old wallets with large amounts of Ethereum on them without actually doing a market buy. So let's say someone has you know five million Ethereum, you could do an under the table transaction, buy that five million Ethereum for uh, you know for at cost or below cost, depending on what the person is willing to do for that large of a transaction. But that wouldn't hit the market, so that it wouldn't spook the market upwards, right? This is the problem. People are always saying, oh, you're spooked the market, the prices will go up. Well, that transaction didn't appear on the market, so no one is aware of the fact that someone just bought and sold five million ETH. Right? Another way is to actually target the top percent people, so find the largest holders and and bribe them, uh, blackmail them, or uh, coerce them into giving you their Ethereum. Is is this is another attack vector? There's many different ways where you can, and it's all theoretical, obviously. But so is so is the idea of moving from proof of work to proof of stake. So that's one big vulnerability. Is actually Taking over the network because you have the majority of the validation process because you have the majority of the Ethereum and that that is a serious problem that I don't think that they have an answer to.
0: And and Ethereum does have a history of being attacked and hacked, uh, doesn't it? Like you you already mentioned the DAO hack. Um, sure. Um, have there been any? But it's other but account? it's mistakes. It's, mis- it's oh, mistakes. It's mistakes
1: that mistake. they make, right? Because it's okay. not technically I know mean, people who say the word DAO DAO hack, it's not technically a hack. It, the protocol, the the smart contract was written in a way that where someone was able to just go in and take the money out. They didn't mm. hack it in the sense that they didn't break it in order to get the money out. Another really big problem with Ethereum too is, so once you move away from proof of work to, to proof of stake, the way proof of work works is everybody goes to the tip of the spear, the tip of the blockchain is based off of the most proof of work, right? So they are all automatically sync up to wherever that is. And it's, even if the network were to go down overnight and different different chains started up right, and moving along, eventually all the nodes would combine to wherever the most proof of work was. And on Ethereum, this is different. So when they move to proof of stake, there won't actually be a mechanism for the network to combine naturally on its own. So this would lead to ch- massive chain splits. So like for instance, in, the, in, the, in, in a black swan style event, if the whole protocol goes down for let's say months or even several, mo- several months where they're not able to reconnect, how are they going to decide you know, which chain survives? Inevitably, I, it would lead to permanent chain splits. So in my opinion, you'll see if proof of stake Ethereum were to take over the world, you will see multiple chains of proof of stake all over with Ethereum because there's
0: no way to naturally combine them back together. Mm. Okay. Um now um I know that your your time is limited today. Uh thank you so much for for being so generous. Um now you mentioned before um staking and um, reducing the supply, and on the other hand, Ethereum also has like an endless money supply. So there's no cap to the amount of coins. That's right. right? Um, is this um, is this like a tug of war between staking and money printing, and who is benefiting? Why it why is the endless money printing? Uh, being done if they also are limiting supply by staking i don't really understand how this this whole thing interplays and who is benefiting from it
1: okay so currently the way that they have it planned out is because of vip 1559 they're burning the fees which is a downward pressure so there's there's the actual supply is dropping because of that not 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 the total supply, but some of the supply is being eliminated from the market, right? And then when they move from proof of work to proof of stake, the issuance will drop. And the issuance drop combined with the burning of the fees will lead to the total supply actually going down over time. So right now, you know, with Bitcoin, you're always going up by X amount per block, and that's it. That's the way it works. It's 12.5. Then we went to 6.25. And We'll keep cutting in half every four years, and that's the way it's an issuance um, uh, distribution, right? Versus issuance, so we're distributing the Bitcoin out, and once it's all out by 2140, there won't be any more. There won't be any more Bitcoin to distribute. The way it works on Ethereum, though, is is, is quite a bit different. It is an a inflation rate, and they decide whether they want the inflation to be up or or they have may decide to move it to deflation, where the the, the supply is actually going down, but. In my opinion, because of the way the network is set up, inevitably, they're going to decide who they need to take from next, right? Because in the past history of Ethereum, they have always taken from the miners. Five, four, three, you know, ETH per block, burning the fees. Okay, well, now they're going to get rid of them completely. They're not just like, let's just get rid of these guys. We don't even need miners anymore. But that's how they've gotten Ethereum to pump in price. Well, who are they going to take from Next. Well, there's only two options. They can either decide to burn Ethereum out of people's wallets. Maybe they'll call it supersonic <laughs> a supersonic money. I don't know. But uh, that, I didn't coin the term, by the way. A buddy of mine, uh, uh, Tomer Strawlight, really smart guy, by the way. You can check him out. He's much better on this topic than I am myself. So that's one option is they can literally burn money out of your, out of your wallet or... In order to pay their big investors, they can decide to increase the issuance, which is my thesis. That's my theory. That's where I see things headed. Just like the fiat system, those that have the most money will make more money as they get closer and closer to the money printer. In Ethereum, those that have the most money will make the most money as they get closer and closer to the the money printer, which is essentially the validation process and the staking. So, in my opinion, this is just. Another sign why I want to avoid Ethereum—they just look way too much like the fiat system. The process of decision making is all human controlled; it's not programmatic. On Bitcoin, everything is extremely programmatic. We don't need human intervention on the monetary supply. Once we once we do that, we're just no better than every type of money that's ever existed before in human history.
0: So. Um... I have, um, this is an interview, I want to know your opinions and I don't want to talk too much, but I do have a theory that I wanted to share with you. Uh, I think that the big holders of Ethereum want to limit the supply of Ethereum um, while they are riding this crypto bull market. And I think that the Ethereum 2.0 a release will not be done on time i think they're going to delay it so that they can sell into the market while it's pumping and then later you know when when uh when there's the you know the cyclical uh crash of the market i think that's when they're going to you know issue their their ethereum 2.0 uh, upgrade you know and then and then they can start money printing again and and doing all that stuff. Um, does, does this theory, do you think, does it have any validity?
1: I think that you're right in that they're going to move it back. I definitely agree that that's, that's going to happen. If not once, maybe twice. Or may, some people think that it will never happen. They never will move to proof of stake. There's uh, There's a bunch of problems with moving from proof of work to proof of stake. And one of those problems I lined out was the lack of optionality and that they're going to destroy the proof of work chain okay, well, there's some things you have to think about when you're going to be destroying the proof-of-work chain, which is what are the miners going to do? What are they going to do as they approach the final days to mine the proof-of-work chain? Are they going to get along and just sing kumbaya and just take take the sword and just take the defeat? No, they're, they're going to find ways to manipulate the structure in order to bring value to them in those final moments. And one of those attacks will be time banded attacks. They will literally rewrite the chain and move it all over the place in order to extract more value in the final moments of the proof of work chain. And this is going to be messy. This is going to be chaotic. And I I don't know if Ethereum will survive it. Um, It could get really bad for them. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. But that's that's a big issue that I see coming. And I I don't think they have been able to figure it out. And I believe it's part of the reason why they don't want to move to proof of stake because this, along with a few other technical problems, they're difficult to overcome. How do you stop your your fired security guards from not wanting to collude against you? You said, not only have we been robbing you consistently from five to four to three and burning the fees, now we're going to fire you after we've been robbing you for the last four. You think they're going to just stick, stand there and take it? I don't think so. I think they're going to cause a lot of problems, cause a lot of chaos, and they've really just brought it on themselves. So uh, I would, I would highly encourage people to stay away from Ethereum if, and when it does decide to move to proof of stake.
0: Well, Dennis, um, uh, I know that you have to go, you have uh things that you need to do but but thank you so much for your time it's been really of course great. it's been delightful talking to you and yes uh, very best wishes i hope you come back at some point
1: i will definitely and happy to do this again with you and, and and take some more time to go through everything or, or any other questions that you have
0: sounds great thank you guys uh future gravy is m- my name and do you want to say something about yeah. your channel
1: sure yeah you can find me at uh, at Dennis underscore Porter underscore on Twitter, or just search Dennis Porter, I'm, I'm you'll find me pretty quickly. And uh, I have my channel, Smart People Shit. I talk to some of the smartest people in the space and I have a really great time interviewing people that are much smarter than me. And I'm also going to be launching a weekly show where I cover all of the different reasons um, and all of the different aspects of, of what's going on in the Bitcoin space, uh, kind of turn it into almost like a mini news show with a Bitcoin lens so that people can have digest what's gone on recently on Twitter uh, in the news and the political space. So I really am looking forward to launching that show. Um, I also do consulting too, as well. So if anybody's interested in and in, needs help in the space, uh, hit me up. I, I've been helping a lot of people. I have, I've helped business owners. I have helped executives, CEOs, uh, financial executives, and I'm happy to get on a call and help anybody at any time. There's, there's uh, some information to do that in, in my bio. So, uh, But I appreciate it very much you having me on and I look forward to doing it again.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Dennis. All the best.